Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. I'm Jen Rogers, and I'm here with Nicole Sinclair, and we are going to be talking shopping, retail, the death of the mall. Nicole, you've been writing about this a lot, but I want to go back to when you were little Nicole, teenage (laughs) Nicole. Were you a shopper? I would say I did spend a good amount of time at malls. Whether or not I purchased a lot is another story. But it was the mall was definitely a destination for my friends and I. I lived in Princeton, New Jersey, and we had a couple of malls that we liked going to. Quaker Bridge Mall is one. Mm, now, what and is the anchor store at Quaker Bridge Mall? There, you know, there was a Macy's, I believe, um, maybe another department store. But we liked the little shops. You know, we'd go in, maybe four or five friends, look through clothes, and we'd hang out on a bench somewhere. Right. <laughs> we were goody two shoes, so there was never any any anything bad going on there. But it definitely was a hangout spot, and I think that's something that's changed, Jen. I mean, I don't think. I mean, we live in New York now. Right. Um, there aren't as many mall opportunities, but I don't think that kind of going shopping for the day and browsing has that same sort of appeal that it used to, not only for teenagers, but for older folks. <laughs> right. We've been talking about the death of the mall for a long time, but I want to back up to sort of the death of the department store even. So for you and, and, and for me, I feel like the department store was already not a huge draw and that that has just gotten worse, really. Uh, the department stores right now, are any of them doing well? <laughs> I mean, it's a good point. I think that the differentiation of department stores has been a concern for some time. This past quarter, we just finished a big roundup of retail earnings. And even when Macy's reported better-than-expected numbers, its sales or comparable store sales were still negative. And the stock suffered because there's no real sense of where the company is going. To answer your question, the best department store among the bunch, according to a lot of analysts that I've talked to, and even, frankly, personal experience, is Nordstrom. Mm -hmm. It is one of the pioneers uh, or has been one of the pioneers with customer service, which is becoming more and more of an important differentiator when you actually do drag yourself to the store. And it made a big push online in a lot of digital bets. Um, They actually, well before Walmart acquired Bonobos, had a partnership with Bonobos. Um, They made an investment in flash sale site Hot Look, in 2011, um, other partnerships with online first brands like Bonobos really did help propel the brand or the company forward. And they actually had positive comparable store sales this past quarter. Um, they generate 23% of their sales online. That's, That's a ahead lot. of many other names. Macy's about 16%. Kohl's about 16%. Nordstrom feels more authentic in a way. It has a message, I feel, as a shopper, something that they're going for, which Macy's, I don't know what they stand for anymore. Um, Or like, um, I mean, Kohl's is different. Kohl's, JCPenney, those guys, I mean, Sears. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, what, what what, what purpose 
are they serving? I right. guess. What, why you're just getting all these brands under one roof? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It has a little bit. Nordstrom, by the way, has developed its own private brands more, and that's been really important because you have a lot of vendors like Michael Kors and Coach um, that are trying to go direct to the consumer. And plus, by the way, it's a higher margin business when you're selling your own brand. So I do, I do think Nordstrom has done that well. They also have their big anniversary sale where discounts are much more about demand for product instead of excess inventory. Um, a lot of their partnerships like Topshop, Madewell, Warby Parker, Bobble Bar have made them important traffic drivers within the store. So like you mentioned, it becomes more of a destination versus just this middle market house of brands. Mm -hmm. And that's been really important for the name. I was going back and looking at a little bit of the history of the department store. Mm -hmm. And I found it, it was really interesting that uh, a bunch of the names sort of aren't even around anymore. So there's yeah. Macy's, we know that, but Marshall Fields, uh, Wanamaker's, uh, Hudson's. Of course, we have Hudson Bay now, but that it was it was a destination. It was a place to go be seen, and it was a place to go have lunch. And then the mall sort of became that mm -hmm. for uh, our generation. And now, you know, some part of me would think like, oh, it would go back to the department store just you know, on the pendulum, but it doesn't seem to be. So where where is it going? Is it all <laughs> online? Well, a lot of it's online. Um, that's been a big concern that we've seen plaguing the entire retail space, not only department stores, but individual names. Interestingly, Macy's was a big acquirer of many um, specific stores and, and department stores and kind of, like you said, has has lost its own brand uh, appeal. But yes, the online conversion has been um, a big secular shift for a lot of these companies, and they haven't moved quickly enough. We's, we've also seen, though, a lot of strength in the off-price names like TJX and Ross Stores. They've kind of grown and been able to take advantage of excess inventory at department stores, people that really crave that treasure hunt experience. And so I would say we're, we're seeing that. And then we're seeing many names or people go directly to brands that they love, you know, mm -hmm. developing uh, a loyalty to a specific make or a specific designer that they really enjoy and kind of staying attuned to that, really frustrated by customer service at department stores or just going directly online. Uh, talking about sort of the treasure hunt, we're also seeing that with the department stores too, right? The um, off-fifth brand, the yes. Nordstrom Rack, uh, that that's where they're seeing a lot of success, which whether or not it cannibalizes the, the other, the bigger store, I do feel like it just takes you away from that brand. Like, what are they offering when you used to go to the department store? It was like, what I didn't go there to look for one thing. It was more to be surprised. You would right. stumble on something, and they're inspiring you. And now it's like, I'm just going to buy a shirt. Like, I only go there for one thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, to go to Nordstrom's advantage, Nordstrom Rack was something that was developed uh, at first in 1973. Whereas, really? Yes. 1973? Yes. Um, first location um, and first website was 2014. But yeah, first location, 1973. Whereas Macy's Backstage is much more recent. 
uh, they just rolled out in 2015 and again shows that Nordstrom was really ahead of embarking on this lucrative off-price game that TJX and Ross stores have completely embraced and those two names have soared. So that that off-price strategic advantage has helped Nordstrom, even if it does cannibalize to some degree its core offering. The direct-to-consumer issue seems really critical for department stores because if you don't if, let's say it's Michael Kors, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to let you use the coupon at Macy's. You, he wants to drive you to the store or to the website. Uh, is that, it seems bad for department stores. Is that bullish for malls or bullish for, like, smaller real estate? Because if we are going to go, like, I don't know, buy it right from Michael Kors, doesn't he have to have a store? Yeah, I mean, it could be. Um, where we most see have seen this is Dick's Sporting Goods. And I want to just bring this up as an example of what's mm-hmm. happening more broadly in retail. Dick's Sporting Goods had a disaster quarter. And the main reason uh, that they cited was more competition for its specific vendors. And in particular, they are reliant on Under Armour and Nike. Nike, for example, is growing its e-commerce business from $1 billion in 2015 to $7 billion in 2020. That's three times the expected growth rate of the e-commerce industry. Meanwhile, it's trying to boost its direct-to-consumer sales from $6.6 billion to $16 billion. And that is partly these this big investment in its own stores, too. So that's like if I'm going to buy Nike shoes, I'm going to buy them from Nike, not go buy them... At Dick's Sporting Goods. Right. So you'll either go to Nike.com or you'll go to into a Nike store. Or, by the way, you'll go to Amazon where Nike just inked a deal. So Dick's Sporting Goods kind of left out of that. And the big concern is, will this happen to other house of, house of brand stores like Macy's that are reliant on these specific vendors? It's more severe in the sports category that's more narrow, like Dick's Sporting Goods with Under Armour and Nike. But Macy's, which relies on Michael Kors and Coach and Beyond, like you mentioned, also has this problem, specifically when, say, Michael Kors is being pressured from changing consumer habits, doesn't want its items to be sold primarily via discounts and sales at big department stores like Macy's, and is under pressure to sell more directly to the consumer, either via its own sites or via its own stores. So it's not to say that this multi-brand strategy, which is very American, as many analysts I talk to say, is going away, but it's showing that there's more pressure on department stores when their only value add is, frankly, discounting. And really, how can that strategy survive long term? So you brought up uh, Dick's, and so talking about the the sporting space, because there's a lot of names there that have been hit particularly hard. Why is it so bad there? Is it just this direct-to-consumer issue, or is there something else going on? It's a big part of it. Um, When you mention other names, Foot Locker and Finish Line have also been hit significantly. Part of it, again, is that reliance on names like Nike and Under Armour, that are getting uh, more power relative to the the uh, house of brands. But it's also, frankly, a little bit of leveling out in the athleisure space. This was the hot new area. It was more immune to some of the retail pressures. And a lot of analysts that I've talked to, a lot of people studying retail are saying it just got too hot. And we're seeing 
a little bit of a pullback there. There was a little bit too much enthusiasm about everyone wearing their yoga pants and cool shirts and and cool shoes. And whether or not they went to the gym, they were wearing it anyway. Um, And the growth just wasn't keeping up with expectations. So that's something that we're starting to see. And you're seeing that reflected in the stocks of Dick's Foot Locker Finish Line. Uh, so the retail names that are working, uh, you've mentioned that Nordstrom, you know, seems to be doing well in the department store space, the treasure hunt with um, TJX, uh, raw stores, and also home improvement right yeah. now doing okay, right? Home improvement doing really well. Home Depot, the name and focus there. Their comparable store sales are significantly in positive territory. And largely, this is the fact that they're riding this improving housing markets. Prices are back above pre-recession levels. That's important. People want to invest in their homes. Again, they want to spruce up their homes. But one additional thing I'd say with Home Depot is that a lot of it is about individual execution. When you look at the stock of Home Depot versus Lowe's, Home Depot has outperformed by a wide margin. And it's worth noting because above all other industries, when it comes to retail, execution really matters. I mean, in the industrial space, you're so uh, driven by underlying economic indicators. It's the same in healthcare. It's about drug pricing and and broader trends in the industry. When it comes to retail, there's so much that comes down to specific choices with merchandising and specific management styles. So when I think of execution in the retail space, I'm thinking fashion. Choices that buyers make about what's going to be selling in a particular season, you know, making sure you have resort 2019 Mm -hmm. down right. Why does that matter for Home Depot or Lowe's? Like what execution or choices do they need to be making? Right. Um, Certainly when it comes to execution, like you mentioned, a lot has been about merchandising and say, the old merchant kings like Mickey Drexler um, from J. Crew, formerly. Of um, the Gap before that. And of the Gap before that. In the home improvement space, though, it's been very important. And with Home Depot, it all comes down to their choice of customer. And with Home Depot, they've correctly bet on the professional customer. That's those remodelers, general contractors, small business owners. 40% of Home Depot sales come from that customer category. And that matters because they tend to spend more. They're taking more trips to the store. They're making bigger project purchases. Lowe's, on the other hand, gets about 30% of sales from this category. And that gap is significant. Um, Home Depot's professional comp sales were 9.6% in the latest quarter. I mean, when you compare that to the do-it-yourself customer at about 4% comps, that really makes a difference. One thing that I think about with those numbers is the professional is also probably not getting stuff that can be shipped to them online. Like I'm thinking lumber and bigger, I don't know, pieces of equipment versus like me, the do-it-yourself person. Even if I'm buying something on Lowe's or maybe I go to Amazon, I'm getting a dimmer switch, right? Or I'm getting some paint brushes. Right. So how does the online part, I guess, work for these uh, home improvement places. Are they Amazon-proof? They, that's The jury's out on that one. But one thing Home Depot has done well is emphasizing its order online, pick up in store option. 43% of its online orders are still being picked up in stores. And that speaks to that professional customer that you 
just mm-hmm. mentioned. It gets the customer in and, by the way, buying more stuff, perusing and seeing what else they need. Before we wrap up, we got to talk about uh, the grocery business. Uh, mm-hmm. Grocery business, huge for names like Walmart. And now we see our friends at Amazon getting into it as well. Uh, their deal for Whole Foods closing and big changes right away. Talk to me about them. Big changes. Well, big changes are maybe not so big changes. It seemed like big changes, right? We have right? seen big signs about huge discounts in key flashy categories like avocados and almond butter and uh, and salmon. Um, I love all three of those things. But um, it's interesting because overall their prices are still higher than peers like Sprouts or Trader Joe's. But it is all about perception, and there's been a lot of media hype about prices at least being cut from their whole paycheck status. Um, Whole Foods, as part of Amazon, potentially could see more cuts because, as we know, Jeff Bezos not so concerned necessarily with profitability. Retailers, much higher standards when it comes to margins and profits. And that's a big concern for other other. Uh, food stores. And so I think going forward, the power that Bezos does have when it comes to Whole Foods and integrating it with Amazon Fresh and integrating it with Amazon Prime Rewards and people that are addicted to clicking and buying as I am um, is is a potential huge game changer. Um, already the aesthetic changes in the store and some of the pricing changes have excited consumers and could just be the start of much more to come. This sort of marriage between tech and old retail, we're seeing that with Amazon and Whole Foods. We had uh, news recently that Macy's hiring a eBay executive Uh coming in. Do you think we're going to see more of these tie-ups? Is retail going to be able, I guess, to get people to come to their their side? I mean, I don't think it's a totally sinking ship. I think there's a lot of people that want it to work. Uh, Will there be more tie-ups? Yeah, potentially. Um, One thing that no one really knows for certain is the degree to which online is going to transform retail. Um, It's interesting because in some ways, Amazon today actually mimics Walmart in 2001. In other words, Walmart's revenue growth similarly accounted for 30% of total sales growth in 2001, as Amazon does today. And while Walmart certainly was disruptive, no one would say today that it destroyed the industry. Of course, today, um, Amazon, the fact that it's online, the fact that it uses third-party sellers could potentially be a bigger threat. And the ability for Macy's, for example, to compete online via hiring an eBay executive uh, may be more difficult. But the jury is still out. And there are still a lot of optimists about retail. When I look back at the quarter as a whole, we saw a bit more of positive surprises overall because expectations got so low. So the question is, Will this be a continued unraveling, um, continued job losses, or will the industry be able to shift quickly enough to keep up with changing consumer habits? Uh, And that's something that is going to be a big story in the coming quarters, in the coming years, 
Uh, and it's something that, frankly, is happening very quickly. Yeah, a lot quicker than some. Even though people were waiting for it, it just feels like it's happening really quick this year. Yeah, absolutely. And sure, to be sure, uh, with Labor Day comes sales. And that's been a concern um, you know, for retailers. It's good for the consumer, not so great for the retailers. But at least in the midst of a lot of this industry disruption, uh, we can benefit from value and from competition <laughs> and get some good deals. All right. What was your favorite store at the mall? What was your mall? Like the Quaker, the, the what Quaker, was Quaker Bridge Mall. The Quaker Bridge Mall. What was your favorite <laughs> A store? A little bit outside of town. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, Come on. I, I, A clothing store? God. You know, store? I think, I, I don't remember if it was always there, but I really liked this store, White and Black. Oh, you yeah. know, White it and Black just, still exists. It still, it still exists because yeah. you just need those basics. Mm-hmm. I wish I had something more exciting, like pink, you know, but... <laughs> Like I don't the know. Gap. I don't yeah. know. It's kind of boring. You know what? I liked the Gap too. I was really into the perfume scents. You know, they had uh, those yeah, like Gap body. seasonal. Yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. My dream was to be like corduroy and trapped overnight in a department store. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds scary to me. (laughs) It sounds like I just go have a great night's sleep. (laughs) Nicole Sinclair, I know you're going to be on the story covering it for us. Labor Day. Then there's going to be, what, Black Friday, Uh, Cyber Monday, Mm -hmm. Christmas. The retail story never stops. Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening out there to the Yahoo Finance podcast. Please don't forget to rate us, review us, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.